Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. Barry Peterson. You're a doc. You've studied this. You've talked to the researchers. Right. You're saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized recreation. It's no wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot? Good morning. You are listening to the Cannabis Hour, a bi-weekly public affairs program where we discuss all things cannabis. I'm your host, Jen Percacci. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I've got a great and informative program lined up for you, a little policy update, where I will be discussing the urgent challenges facing our licensed cannabis cultivators in Mendocino County with two guests, Michael Katz, the Executive Director of Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, as well as Mendocino County 3rd District Supervisor, John Paschak. So on February 8th, Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, MCA, which is the trade association representing cannabis operators in Mendocino County, submitted a 16-page letter to Governor Gavin Newsom, Department of Cannabis Control Director Nicole Elliott, and California legislative leaders documenting the county's failure to establish a process capable of moving small and legacy cannabis cultivators towards state annual licensure. Nearly six years into its local permitting process, Mendocino County has transitioned just six local cannabis farmers into state annual licensure. That is less than 1% of all cultivators in the county. For comparison, 62% of cultivators in Humboldt County, 58% of cultivators in Nevada County, and 23% of cultivators in Trinity County have obtained a state annual license. With state deadlines for permit processing approaching on July 1st, 2023, MCA's letter documents how nearly all small cannabis cultivators in Mendocino are now at imminent risk of losing their state licenses, threatening to undermine the promise of Proposition 64 to provide a just transition for legacy operators. The letter documents how nearly six years after passing an ordinance to regulate cannabis cultivation, the Mendocino Cannabis Department has not meaningfully moved forward to process local cannabis permits, cannabis permit renewals, or documents necessary for CEQA compliance. So obviously this is a huge problem here. Recent reports from MCD suggest a plan to transition just 256 prioritized operators to annual licensure, implying that nearly 70% of Mendocino's 841 current operators have no path forward to remain in the legal market. Simultaneously, however, statements by the Mendocino Cannabis Department indicate that expected staffing resources are just half 
of what they claim would be necessary to process these 256 applications in time to meet the state deadlines. Further, among over 500, quote, deprioritized operators, MCA has found that a substantial number have been deprioritized incorrectly based on demonstrably false claims of tax delinquency or lack of state licensure. While the state al allocated over 17 million in grant funding to assist Mendocino's local government with permit processing in 2021, MCA's letter documents a lack of public accountability on how these funds have been spent. Inconsistencies regarding the county's proposed work plan in its grant application and delays in opening an application process for over $10 million in funds set aside for direct grants to cultivators. The letter further demonstrates how, rather than working to establish a viable permitting process, MCD and the Board of Supervisors have repeatedly focused time and energy on topics that raise additional barriers to compliance including raising contrived legal objections to the county's own cannabis equity program and threatening operators with denial on, quote, vegetation modification grounds without due process. For years, MCA has been sounding the alarm on the unfolding crisis within the county's cannabis program, said Michael Katz, MCA's executive director. Throughout 2022, we worked in good faith with the Board of Supervisors Cannabis Ad Hoc Committee to develop policy recommendations to course correct the program, only to have most of them rejected by the full board. We are out of time, Katz continued. The bottom line is that there is no functional permit process in Mendocino and no plan to create one. We cannot move forward if the county continues to obstruct local licensees. We need the state to intervene and intervene now if our legacy cultivators are to survive. So here today, we are joined by Michael Katz, Executive Director of Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, along with Third District Supervisor in Mendocino County, John Hashcheck. Michael and John, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Would you both like to say hello? Hi, Jen. Hey, thanks for having us on. This is John Haschek, and I, I hope that this is an informative hour. I'm sure it will be, uh, and uh, just glad to be here. Yeah, hello, Jen. Uh, thanks so much for having us, and really grateful to Supervisor Haschek for joining this conversation uh, and you know, really continuing to work to find solutions to these challenges that you just identified. Yes, thank you both for taking the time to be here today. And wow, it certainly sounds like there is a lot that needs to be addressed out there. Um, Michael, would you like to give us a little summary of what's happening? And also, did you author this letter or was it in conjunction with others as well? Uh, so thanks, Jen. Yeah, I mean, the, the summary as you laid it out is, is earlier. That was the kind of release that went out with this uh, letter to kind of set up and provide context for where it came from. And unfortunately, you know, the reality is that here in Mendocino, we have this tiny, tiny fraction of the folks who originally entered the program uh, being identified as maybe being able to get through to their state annual licenses. 
and that is not what anybody who envisioned what this process would look like five years, six years after implementation uh, would be happening. The, the idea was to be able to transition the legacy operators into this new commercial market uh, and to provide uh, this transition period. And, you know, initially the county had set up what is called a ministerial or intended to set up what's called a ministerial ordinance that would not require site-specific review and would have been kind of the you know an easier approach if that had ultimately been what the state would have allowed. So the idea that the county had in mind of what the process would be when they opened up applications was very was that there would be a, a very easy pathway for folks to be able to maintain uh, their operations, uh, for folks who had been operating prior to legalization to be able to transition into licensure. And what happened over the consecutive years is that the ordinance that Mendocino initially set up was incongruent with what the state demands are for setting up local ordinances. And so that tension has really transformed the landscape to a place where the idea was that folks could come forward and, you know, follow these regulations and get compliant and get their licenses and, you know, move forward into this program to now saying, uh, hearing members of the board say things like, oh, well, we always knew some people that we were going to have to deny some people, not everybody was going to get through. And while that may be true, uh, the reality is that the numbers we're looking at right now are staggering, as you said, uh, estimates of only between two and 300 from, you know, upwards of 800 individual uh, operator licenses moving forward is a tiny fraction, an even smaller fraction of the 1300 that started out in this program. And so uh, the letter is really kind of a documentation, a very thoroughly drafted, documented, well-cited, nearly 40 individual citations in the 16-page letter. Um, and it really is just showing exactly what has happened and led us here, and the intent of which is to inform state lawmakers and regulators and the governor uh, about what exactly is happening here on the ground so they can use that information as they're moving forward in this legislative cycle to really try to address these problems. And uh, as far as your other question, uh, this document was certainly not the product of my work alone. Uh, we were grateful to have, uh, you know, we have this incredible team of collaborators uh, within our advocacy organization, both in MCA and in the state level at Origins Council. And with something like this, uh, it was important to make sure that we were really, uh, you know, taking an objective view uh, and trying to lay it out in a well-cited way. So we definitely got input and feedback and had very valuable collaboration uh, in order to get it to the place that it was when it was released. Uh, and so hopefully that significant amount of work that went uh, went into making this document from uh, so many people who really care about the outcome uh, will result in, in positive changes moving forward. 
Yes. And just to let my listeners know that full 16 page letter is available at mendocannabis.com. That's mendocannabis.com. What I had read was a summary of the letter, but there is much more, which you can view on MCA's website, which again is mendocannabis.com. So John, what was your reaction to the letter issued by MCA when you read that? Well, I understand the the frustration that's out there. And I think that the letter really goes through a lot of the issues that that are still happening. And, um, you know, kind of the fears and everything that it um, that are evident and in the county and with the program. And so so in a way, um, you know, they MCA, I to their credit, they're representing cultivators and they did what they needed to do. And um, bringing these issues to light and making sure that the county and the state are aware of what's going on in Mendocino County is just, um, it, it's needed. And I appreciate what they did of bringing it to light. You know, Since the letter was written, I, I know that the county has had quite a few discussions about you know, how to make the, the program work better, you know, how to get the department, you know, make sure that they're on track and the timelines are being met. I also had a discussion with Senator McGuire about the letter and um, brought it to his attention. I think that um, there's lots of eyes on the letter and I know that the state has been looking at it. So, so um, with that, you know, maybe we will um, be able to kind of jumpstart the program into doing what it needs to do, which is, you know, from the get-go, my, my feeling has been the obligation of the county is to process people. And, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like we have processed people as um, expediently as we ha- should be. And that's an understatement. I know people are probably guffawing at that. But, you know, it's been six years and we're still 200 people having permits, only six having their state annual license. So that's, um, you know, we need to step it up and we need to offer the opportunity to everyone who's eligible. Right. And, you know, maybe some people won't make it, but, you know, that has to be on the merits of their permit and people need to know (laughs) what the merits are and what where they're lacking or whatever. And that's part of what the, you know, we got the $17 million from the state with the local jurisdiction assistance grant program to help people get through to their state licensure. And, you know, so it's on the county. It's, um, you know, and I think that MCA memo really highlights some things that the state could be doing too. Thank you, John, for that view on the letters. Yeah, you know, as a licensed cannabis cultivator myself, or rather a cannabis cultivator who's in the licensing process, right, because we're not licensed yet. I will say that, of course, we've always been hearing that not everyone will make it through. And I think that is accurate in any sort of process where you're issuing a license or a set of um, limitations for someone to operate a business, but certainly the majority of the people 
being not able to obtain the license definitely seems to signal a very big problem. Michael, you had discussed or mentioned that there was a board of supervisors meeting recently where it seemed like there was a bit of a turnaround or an attitude change about this process. Did that happen before the letter was issued or after? You know, coincidentally, it happened the day before the letter was issued. Uh, when it had, uh, you know, it, there, these things are, uh, in terms of how they're disseminated, uh, you know, certain folks are going to get copies uh, in advance out of respect to let them know some things are coming. Uh, and so, you know, whether or not that played a role in super in the supervisors meeting uh, from last Tuesday, the result of that uh, conversation was uh, what seemed to be, uh, at least in some regard, a, a unanimous desire to try to get everybody who is being held up by the vegetation modification process through to uh, so that they don't they can get out of that veg mod jail and move forward with their processing. And you know, Hannah Nelson, a local attorney and advocate pointed out some limitations with the what wound up being the adopted proposal. Um, you know, there she had actually provided a very, very thorough uh, memo as to why the, the vegetation modification language, in the ordinance, or rather the tree removal language in the ordinance, because vegetation modification like isn't actually a thing in there, um, that language uh, is clear. Uh, and her memo, which was substantial, you know, really kind of laid out what would need to happen in order to address this issue. Unfortunately, one of the things that we heard during that meeting, not from the board, but from county council, was that, you know, largely it sounds like because Hannah represents operators who are in the program, it sounds like he doesn't put much weight behind her legal opinions because he may consider that there's a conflict of interest there because certainly she would be advocating on behalf of what she wants to see happen for her clients. Um, so I thought that that was interesting and disappointing uh, to hear because obviously Hannah has more experience in the legal side of cannabis advocacy and having, you know, litigated significant cases, including having medical cannabis returned to a patient for the first time, I believe. And so, uh, you know, her expertise is regularly offered to this board, but now it seems as though, you know, it's generally not being accepted as meaningful by county council. Uh, and I think that the positive things that we heard from the board about moving, wanting to move people through, which we have heard before, there actually have been board directives previously to the point of, we want to see everyone who's doing the work, who's trying to get through, who's communicating with the department, all the people who are trying to do the right things, we want to see them get through. But that actually, you know, hasn't turned into folks moving through the program, uh, unfortunately. So the, the biggest, uh, while we had very positive rhetoric uh, from many of the board members that we maybe haven't heard some of that from previously, we also heard a lot of pushback from county council based on his interpretations and understanding that his opinions are significantly driving policy in this county. I do believe there is cause for concern because those opinions are what has, for example, 
uh, last year completely stalled our equity program for several months that nobody knew about looking for, uh, you know, guidance from the state on uh, what happens if applicants misuse grant funds and how would the county be liable. Uh, and so just seeing this type of pushback and concern coming from county council, uh, you know, does color the uh, the positive, uh, you know, shift in rhetoric. But I think as long as we can continue to move in the direction that the board was saying and have the board really direct county council to do what they would like as opposed to his own personal interpretation, then we can hopefully see some of these changes sooner than later. Yeah, we, you know, I understand what Michael's saying, but we did have some positive um, movement. And certainly with the veg modification, the board gave clear direction to, to county council on how to proceed with that. And, you know, using some of the language that Hannah Nelson had provided during the meeting. And so I, I do think that there is clear direction and that county council was going to adopt that language. So, so yeah. my hope is that it does expedite the issue. It gets people out of the veg mod hell and, you know, we can move forward. And that's just one of the pieces that we need to move forward. So, you know, that's absolutely, that's, what... oh, that's a great point. You know, this, at, we, it took, it's still taking, this is several meetings, several hours of conversation. I mean, and we we're we're still not looking at, documentation. I mean, hopefully uh, the next general government committee is happening on February 27th, the next board of supervisors meeting happening on February 28th. So hopefully, you know, some of this language is coming back so we can have final clarity on this and, you know, be moving that part of the puzzle forward while still needing to deal with many of the other moving pieces. So what we're talking about here, if you're just tuning in, I'm here with Executive Director of the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, Michael Katz, as well as Third District Supervisor for Mendocino County, John Haschek. And we are discussing the challenges facing cultivators in Mendocino County who are trying to move through the cannabis licensing process. We're discussing something called vegetation modification or veg mod, as we are also referring to it. And Michael, would you like to give a quick little back to, um, background on what that is for our listeners who might not be aware? And if they're sure. not aware, they're lucky. Yeah, well, I'll try to keep this brief. The short version is that there is language in the cannabis ordinance that says that it is prohibited to remove any commercial tree species, and several of them are named specifically, uh, in order to develop a cultivation site. Um, but it also says in the ordinance that uh, that prohibition uh, is removed in the presence of disease and safety concerns. And the struggle has been that uh, the cannabis department uh, has in, in identifying this component of the ordinance has uh, initially in February of 2021 now, wow, time flies, uh, sent out letters to uh, a handful of operators. Uh, we don't know exactly how many were down to 30 now or so that are still involved between 30 and 40 um, that said that they were uh, there was suspicion that those operators may have violated the prohibition on tree removal and or what they then called vegetation modification. Um, there wasn't a specific 
claim as to what they may have violated, but just a general claim that that was a concern of the department and that those operators had 15 days from receipt of that letter to provide a level of evidence uh, that was never required in the ordinance to show that a professional licensed arborist had done X, Y, and Z with these different species and why, just like basically asked for all of this uh, documentation that no one in the program ever would have thought to maintain because there are so many things within the ordinance that are so clear about what you have to do in situations. And so because that was not part of the tree removal ordinance or the language in the ordinance, nobody had done that. So basically that letter said to these people, hey, if you can't give us this evidence that there's no reason you would have ever obtained in the first place, you're going to lose your permit. And so uh, the community reacted very quickly. Uh, a letter was sent from attorney Hannah Nelson and Lauren Mendelson representing clients and attorney for MCA. Uh, those three attorneys came together and sent a letter to the county saying that there were significant concerns about this process and that if folks were denied their permit, in this way, with the lack of due process that this procedure was identifying, that we would be forced to take action. And so uh, folks did not then lose the, their licenses. They were not removed from the process. And the conversation kind of uh, continued as to how should this item be addressed. And so here we are nearly two years later. Is that, is it, maybe it was a year ago. It's hard to keep track. Uh, but the point is, is that it's been a long time, way too long for something that uh, the reality is many of these cases, we're talking about a tree that has been burned in a fire that everybody knows happened and, you know, obviously needs to be removed or needed to be removed. But then the cannabis department saying, well, it's possible you could get shade from that tree being removed. So we're concerned about it. And so, you know, we see that as a violation. So the good news is, as, as Supervisor Haschek said, as Supervisor Haschek said, positive language from the board on Tuesday about not wanting to see people lose their licenses, lose their ability to stay in the regulated market uh, over a couple of trees, especially considering the language in the ordinance for disease and safety concerns, as Hannah pointed out, disease and safety concerns. Uh, and that is something that should be very easy to accept the word of the operators uh, and just move it along. Uh, so that's one other item that we would like to see because you know, it's it only is affecting X number of people now, but the understanding that it could continue to affect people in the future or that it could be, you know, misinterpreted again. We just want to get it sorted and have everybody on the same page and have the intent match the language so there's no confusion moving forward. Like Michael said, you know, we've been at this veg mod issue for way too long whether it's a year, year and a half, you know, no, none of us know at this point because it just seems like it's been forever. And, and it has been affecting, you know, I think the department has spent a lot of time on it and people have been put into this veg mod category and that has limited their access to the LEAP funding and other issues. And, um, and so, it's way past time to move on. And um, with this, the hope is we can start addressing other issues that 
still, you know, there's a lot of other issues out there that uh, are noted in the in the memo that um, we need to deal with. And so, so luckily or fortunately, we're we're hopefully getting to a point where the veg mod is taken care of and we have a due process, you know, denial process that we've um, put into place. And so with those, let's get to the real work, which is addressing these, these applications and moving those along. Absolutely. So I think from what I'm understanding here, vegetation modification would absolutely fall into the category of an additional barrier to compliance being raised by the county, which is something that is stressed in the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance letter and summary and which definitely seems to be going on. So on that note, can we describe deprioritization for our listeners who may not know? And do you have any advice for folks who have received deprioritization letters, especially those who believe they have received letters that contain incorrect information about their lack of tax payments, et cetera? Sure. Well, if you don't, I'll, I'll jump in on this. Go ahead. My understanding is that people are getting deprioritized. It was a board decision to deprioritize people that didn't have state provisional licenses, which is one of the requirements, or they haven't paid some of their back taxes. Okay. And so those are the two criteria for deprioritizing at this point. Whether if a person believes that you know, well, if they have their state provisional and they got a deprioritization letter saying, hey, you don't have it, then that needs to be taken into the office or communicated with one of the planners to, to really clear that up because it should be cleared up right away. You know, the department head says it will take, you know, like a week to clear it up. Um, and so we just need to make sure that um, those things are cleared up. If it's a tax issue and you, you believe that you're up to date on your taxes, then that needs to be taken care of with the treasurer's or tax collector's office. So, so just if you believe that you're, you got this letter and it's, it's not correct, then make sure you get, get it taken care of. And if you have a problem with that, then let me know. Right on. Thank you so much. I would just briefly like to add that the challenge that we've seen uh, for some folks is that um, the, you know, they have been told previously uh, repeatedly by the department to not submit documentation unless they are specifically requested to by a planner. That has been the uh the kind of standing policy at the department because they only wanted things submitted through the portal and then they closed the portal and then sometimes they would reopen it and then they would, you know, deal with individual people, but they didn't want, uh, you know, kind of one-off documents being sent in, or at least that was what they told people for, you know, X amount of time. And then when this deprioritization uh, wave began, I think in November of last year or September of last year, again, hard to, hard to keep track. Um, it became clear very quickly that the information that they had about current state licenses was not accurate. Uh, and despite the ease of which one could receive all of the license information from the state, rather than get that information and cross-check, 
they chose to spend time, you know, deprioritizing operators. Uh, and the vast, vast majority of the people that MCA has spoken to who were who were identified as not having state licenses had state licenses. But as I said, we're told not to send them in. So there was never this transitional period where the department said, hey, now start sending in your your current state licenses. Um, there was just deprioritization. And similarly for the taxes, um, many of the people that we spoke to identified that they had tax receipts for the years that they were identified as being delinquent. Uh, so that's a huge concern um, because again, this, this is removing people's permit from review, which hasn't started yet, but that's just, that's theoretical. It's removing it from review. And, you know, with state deadlines coming up, there's a concern that people might not have local authorization to get their renewal, in which case they could be forced out of the regulated market. Uh, and so there are, uh, you know, there are things that we would like to see that we have called for previously related to the tax issue, because we also do not believe that operators who are behind on their taxes, that that should mean that they should completely lose access to participate in the regulated market. Uh, we see in other areas where there are arrears and tax arrears that payment plans can be worked out. There are different options. Um, but at this moment, those people uh, who may be in arrears uh, are risk are at risk of losing their entire ability to operate in the regulated market. So there's a couple of things that the board certainly could do uh, in this arena that we will continue to advocate for. Um, but in general, we would like to see the department, you know, taking more care in getting the proper tax information from the tax collector's office and also getting the license information from the state, but also clearly communicate to the operators what is happening when, what is required when, um, because there still has not, to my understanding, been a communication through Canon notes or via email to operators that clearly states, send in your state license uh, as soon as you get it back from the state. What are some other key blocks that you have identified for cultivators who are trying to obtain their county and then state licenses? Uh, and this, we don't, there's not, we don't have to talk about this a lot, but just this grant program that was designed to help transition provisional operators to their annual licenses. Nearly $18 million was granted to the county by the state. The funds became available nearly a year ago and uh, there have been questions as to when the grant application process will even open for operators. It was very clear that because of state deadlines, those funds needed to be distributed so they could be utilized as soon as possible upon receiving them because of these uh, very these deadlines that are coming up very soon. But right to this day, there is still not an application process open. It was supposed to open on February 17th, but that has been indefinitely postponed. And again, there has been no communication from the department to the broader uh, licensed community that about this delay and when they can expect those delays to change. So, uh, you know, this lifeline that has been provided by the state has been can held up by, you know, many of the same bureaucratic challenges that are leading to the processing of applications. Uh, and so, you know, we're also seeing delays uh, and challenges with the distribution of the equity funds 
as well as just even designation of equity eligibility. Um, for example, the current equity manual uses the colloquial term camp raids to describe the kind of raid that would be eligible for someone to uh, fit as an equity applicant. Um, however, as many people know, CAMP is just one of the many uh, organizations or groups that perpetrated uh, terrorist-type tactics during the war on drugs uh, that we that provided the impetus for the entire equity program to begin with, trying to rectify some of those harms. You know, and it could be any law enforcement agency that during the war on drugs held people at gunpoint or, you know, uh, terrorized their children or chopped down their gardens or, you know, paratrooped uh, into their properties with helicopters and terrified them. Uh, and so those things are not limited to camp. And the cannabis department director has been previously directed by the board to make the manual as expansive as possible. Yet she has pushed back on updating the raid criteria to include agencies other than camp. So people who should be equity eligible are being held up from that designation, which is ultimately stopping them from applying for provisional licenses under the equity deadlines, which are March 31st. So they're realizing implications to uh, these opinions that are not based on the direction of the board and not based on limitations from the state. They're just personal choices that are seemingly in contravention of the board's direction. And we're hoping to see those, uh, those programs, both the LJAGP and the equity grant program, get much more streamlined and be supportive to the operators who they're trying to help. John, did you want to say anything there? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I do, because uh, I agree with what Michael's saying, you know, about there has been this delay in the implementation of both of those, the equity grants and now the LJAGP, the Local Jurisdiction Assistance Grant Program. And, and those delays are, you know, part of, you know, figuring this whole thing out. But you know, Michael does raise some key issues about why they're being delayed too. The bigger picture I see is, you know, we're supposed to be getting people to their state annual licenses. And so if we're, one of the recommendations from the ad hoc committee when we met for several months with key stakeholders and the department and county council was that, you know, one of the recommendations was to kind of find a third party to administer some of these grants because it was taking up so much time. And, you know, we haven't seen the results of people getting their county permits and that's the ultimate goal. And so if, you know, if we're not doing the key work, the, the critical work that needs to be done for getting permits issued, then um, all the rest is, is um, you know just? I mean, it's it's certainly needed, but it's not the crucial work of the department. And so, you know, I'm on the the general government standing committee. You know, we formed the ad hoc, and I was working on that for three and a half years or so. And then then we decided to go to a standing committee, and so. I wasn't on the standing committee for a couple of months, but now I'm on the standing committee as of 
January, the first meeting, the organizational meeting. And so I'm the chair of it. And what I would like to see with the standing committee address is, you know, how to streamline the program. And we made recommendations in October on at the October 4th meeting, the ad hoc came up with a list of recommendations because we knew it was shifting over to a standing committee. So I think we had 11 recommendations there. We need an update on where we are with the recommendations. Some of them were implemented and I was reviewing them this, this morning and uh, it looked, it looked um, like some had been implemented, especially ones that were in planning and building um, and then some others. So, but there are other issues that we still need to deal with. And with the general governance committee, standing committee on the 27th, we also need to look at that the LJAGP budget because so far, you know, I asked some questions at the last meeting. We, um, the director didn't have answers to what their budget, how much money they've spent and what the process is of getting that money distributed because the money is there to help people get to their, get their um, environmental documents taken care of and get the permit. And then also leap language, you know, we, like Michael said about the camp issues and, you know, what that, why are we looking at being restrictive with some of that language when the board has already said be as permissive as possible. And then we need to look at uh, the staffing and to get people to their state licenses you know, we need to go through the permitting process and we also need to have people do their Appendix G, which is the bridge to the state annual license. And so those two processes are going to take time and we need to make sure that we have the proper staffing. Like Michael said earlier that we, you know, we maybe have half the staffing. Well, that kind of, you know, we've gone out for an RFP, the department has put out an a request for proposals and is trying to hire planners. And I think they have um, planners possibly lined up to start working, but is that going to be enough? So we really need to dig, you know, dive deep into the staffing issues, make sure that we have enough people to, to get um, all these applications processed. Other uh, recommendations from the ad hoc committee from October that were not adopted specifically that we want to see put in place that we didn't raise there? Sure. Well, uh, looking, you know, just doing a quick breeze through, uh, we talked about the equity. Um, you know, we had recommended that there be one, uh, or the ad hoc had recommended that there be a county council and CEO office staff member assigned basically to the cannabis department to help streamline things because, you know, of the project management issues of maybe not being as familiar with how different things work through different county departments. Um, and since then, uh, recently we were uh, all made aware that uh, Chair McGordy is meeting weekly uh, with a uh, member of the CEO's office and Director Nevidal. So that is definitely a level of supervision that wasn't in place before that hopefully will lead to uh, some more streamlining and accountability, but we, we don't know exactly. And we do know, as I mentioned earlier, that county council and that part of the equation winds up being a major roadblock in getting some of these things expeditiously dealt with. Um, 
you know, the uh, there, there was a recommendation to for MCD to provide a no objection status for every document or requirement that MCD has referred to any outside agency that has not been responded to within 30 days. Uh, there are certain things that are, you know, administratively would kind of move the process forward, expedite things, uh, and, you know, get us to a place where we can issue these permits, because some of these agencies might not have uh, the, you know, they, they are dealing with a lot of these issues as well. And Mendocino's timeline uh, is constantly changing is what's going to be needed. So seeing if there are options there. Uh, and then uh, there was the idea to this was something that had been directed a while ago during the ad hoc meetings that Supervisor Haschek was referring to, working with CDFW to create a better screening tool to identify what applications need to be referred to CDFW, because right now the tool that's being used by the department uh, apparently could be more aligned with the ordinance and would potentially, you know, right now there's a concern that there is an over scrutiny of things that don't need to be referred. And so, uh, but based on the ordinance, specifically in the MND, making adjustments to that screening tool that are within that uh, realm so that things cannot have to be referred if not if it's not necessary obviously still maintaining all of the environmental requirements of the organization but these certain minute details that if implemented would streamline just the review process for the application also i think scott ward uh, you know, uh, who has spent many, many years uh, in planning and building and in uh, permitting on the county level in different parts of uh, the this area. You know, he had some really great ideas that came to the table. So I think there's definitely an opportunity to make positive changes. And I think that the takeaway here, or hopefully the takeaway here is that despite the challenges we face, it's not completely hopeless. Like we need to see more action uh, on the part of the full board and thanks, so thankful to Supervisor Haschek for continuing to carry this torch and uh, to really dig into the issues. Um, but moving forward with policy changes and, you know, hopefully continuing to drive this awareness at the state level to see changes happening there because we are unique in a lot of ways here in Mendocino, but also a lot of the challenges we face are similar to play other jurisdictions are facing. And even though Humboldt is so far ahead of us, for example, in how many annual licenses they have, only 62% of their cultivators have annual licenses as well. So that's, you know, compared to us, it's amazing, but it, when you're supposed to be getting to 100, it's still terrible news. So, you know, we're looking at a major statewide issue that still needs to be addressed. And fortunately, you know, Origins Council is having those conversations, is at the table. Uh, and so it really is this working with both the local and the state to really, you know, solve problems and to adhere to the promise of Prop 64. Nobody would have stepped forward into this program if the county said, hey, Everybody who grows cannabis in Mendocino, step forward and maybe two or 300 of you will make it to the end of this process. That wasn't what happened. They didn't, that wasn't what was claimed. Sure, like Jen said earlier, not everyone 
can make it through potentially. Not every single person, but I want to see 95% of people getting through this process, except for like egregious issues. And, you know, we have to obviously work within the ordinance to get there, but we have pathways and we just have to really get on them before it's too late. Absolutely, Michael, that is so true. And, you know, I have to say to you that at this point where we are in the cannabis economy, what's going on um, economically in the marketplace for cultivators, um, the people that are still here that are still trying to get licensed we are the diehards. So, you know, I think we all definitely deserve to be making it through. I think a lot of people have dropped away and have dropped out of the licensing program. And I know we probably don't have those statistics here in front of us today, but that would actually be a really interesting number to know would be what percentage of applicants are no longer in continuing in the process um, that had started. Well, I mean, we can, we can just, I mean, just looking at numbers like AG numbers, right? So like we had about 1300 AG numbers active in 2020. And as of December, we had less than 850. And so, uh, you know, right now, I think it's somewhere between eight and 850. I, I, the MCD didn't have their last meeting. So there wasn't any updated information provided this month, but that's, you know, it's a significant drop off. And again, the department is expecting that only between two and 300 people will actually make it all the way through to their state annual licensure. And that's based on the number of people to this point who have not been deprioritized, but there are still new deprioritization notices that go out and there's still incorrect deprioritization, deprioritization notices that are going out. And so, you know, this is uh, just the whole idea that if people have fallen behind on their taxes, they should lose access to the program. Just it, it doesn't sit well with me. And hopefully that can be addressed sooner than later as well. John, is there anything you want to add there? Yeah, that, the you know, Michael raises some really good points. And, you know, I think that what are we trying to do here? You know, we are trying to get people through to their state annuals. And, you know, our economy is based on that. And I think that the whole process of Prop 64 has been very rocky so far. And there's going to be, you know, all these weird things happening. And you've seen the, like the illegal market still flourishing when we thought, well, you know, you go into the legal market and then that's going to be a way of making a living. And it, it hasn't really panned out, you know, with the bottom falling out of the, the, the market, you know, but, you know, that's kind of this, hopefully it's a cyclical thing of, you know, agriculture and that, you know, when things do get better regulated on the state level, you know, and there's more distributors and more retail outlets throughout the state, then maybe the, the price will rise up again. And, you know, to be in the legal market, you know, we have all this can of tourism opportunity. I mean, we've got the greatest place in the world for can of tourism. And so for all those things, you know, they haven't come together right now and it kind of is a little depressing, right? But at the same time, looking at the long-term, you know, this is still a huge part of our economy. And I think that the trend is going to be for the legal market to take over. And, and that's going to be the way people have a, you know, 
a livelihood. And so, so that's the hope. And, you know, we just need to make sure that the timelines that the department has put forward at this point to get people to their state licenses is, um, is adhered to. And that we really, um, you know, make sure that those timelines, you know, are implemented, that we're doing what we need to do. We don't fall behind because we don't have any time to waste at this point. There's still a plan to get people through, but we need to make sure that everyone's um, doing what they, they say they're doing or, you know, following the plan. And if that doesn't happen, then who knows, you know, the state needs to come in or, or something bigger. But um, that's, that's my commitment to keep working as hard as I can to, to make sure that that happens. I would just, I would say sincerely appreciate that. You know, I, I would say that I, I'm not sure that there's really a plan that is sufficient to meet the needs, like the, the plans that have been expressed so far have either not happened or even as stated are insufficient to address the actual needs on the ground. And so, you know, part of that is the attempt with the letter and the attempt with, and, and so, and hopefully, you know, with Supervisor Hashtag now on the general government committee and moving this, these conversations in the right direction, you know, implementing a plan and saying here, what is the actual plan uh, and finding ways to work hopefully with the state uh, and, you know, get beyond the morass that we've found here uh, locally. But it is it is a, a situation where action is needed immediately uh, on many of these issues because we were calling and the ad hoc was calling for these issues to be immediately addressed in October. So we've lost months of time through which these processes could have been implemented at the time. Uh, they were objected to many of them uh, by the rest of the board because they were in quote shovel ready. But in the interim, we've lost the valuable opportunity to, to move in the right direction. So uh, the rhetoric at the last meeting, as we discussed earlier, was positive. And it, you know, as long as it's met by similar action and it continues in that direction, then, you know, maybe we have a shot. So it, it really is just folks to continue to, to show up and make your voices heard uh, with the, the board. And, uh, and you know, obviously uh, I would suggest joining MCA uh, and helping to continue the advocacy and efforts that we as an organization are putting out there. Um, uh, you know, we are the voice of organized cannabis in Mendocino, and we're here to represent the best interests of the entire community. Thank you so much, Michael. And thank you so much, Supervisor Hashcheck. We have reached the end of our time here today. So I would like you both, if possible, to share contact information for our listeners. If they want to get in touch, if they need help with deprioritization, or they want to learn how to join NCA. John, how can they get in touch with you? All right, so my email is hascheckj at mendocinocounty.org. So that's H-A-S-C-H-A-K-J at mendocinocounty.org. Or my phone number is 707-972-4214. And I certainly welcome you know, anyone calling, telling me their story and all that. But I do think that other supervisors need to hear it too. 
And I appreciate when people say, hey, I contacted my supervisor or others because they need to be aware of what the issues are. Um, I think I'm pretty much aware of them, but always learning something new too. So anyway, yes. I appreciate being on this, um, the show, Jen. Thank you. I so, I so appreciate your time, Supervisor Hashcheck. And Michael, how can our listeners contact you? Thanks, Jen. Uh, yeah, they can. I can be reached via email at michael at mendocannabis.com. And mendocannabis.com is our website. And you can go there and you can click on our policy tab or you can just check out uh, all the information that we have there about the letter and the release that accompanied it. Um, and if there's any uh, people want to reach me by phone, the number at, at the MCA office is 707 234 5568. And I'm um, happy to talk to people about the organization, uh, what our efforts are, are up to, how we're here to help, and uh, certainly appreciate Supervisor Hashcheck's continued efforts on behalf of the cannabis community to, to move these things forward. Uh, super grateful. Thank you, Michael, and thank you so much for your time on the show today. You both are exceptionally dedicated to our community here in Mendocino County, so I really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks. you, Jen. You're welcome. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of the Cannabis Hour. I will be back two weeks from today with another show for you, and until then, have a beautiful day. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.